Welcome to Level 7, a podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Episode 201, Daredevil Season 2, Episode 10, The Man in the Box. Well, hello there, and welcome back to another episode of Welcome to Level 7. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, one of your hosts, and I'll be hosting you just for the beginning part here, and then I'll be turning things over to uh, Stuart and Samantha. This has been the... Well, I'm on the tail end of my really busy time in the summer, and I'm just about through all of that, and uh, basically, <laughs> I'm beat, man. I'm so tired, <laughs> but it's good. It's a, it's a good tired, you know? We get to do our thing. I, go to, I, I do a lot of camp stuff with uh, children's camps, and my whole family volunteers at a camp for families who are affected by different kinds of disabilities. And so it's it's a good thing. It's a good tired, and it's a good tired for a good cause, but at the same time, I'm beat. And so I really appreciate that I have Samantha and Stuart <laughs> to uh, do some episodes here and uh, take care of business while I'm away. Uh, I do have some business I have to take care of, obviously, um, with the whole, you know, phone call thing that I'm not sure what we're going to do with the phone call thing with Luke Cage and with Iron Fist. Uh, phone calls have been made with Luke Cage and Iron Fist. We're working on, we might have a new a new format or a slightly different format when we do those episodes, but um, yeah, but we're here to talk about the man in the box, and so I'm just going to go ahead and play the sounder and do the thing, and uh, when I come back after the sounder, it'll be to play the initial reactions that Daniel Butcher and I, Daniel Butcher being one of the, uh, well, being one of the founders of the podcast, I'm the other one, so I don't know if that's the best way to introduce who he is, but... Uh, or the most grammatically correct way. I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. You got uh, the, the grammar doesn't matter as long as you understand the content, right? I mean, that's what we say anyway when we're trying to get a better grade on a paper that we did really bad on. Yeah, but sorry, I, I got caught in a flashback. Anyway, um, <laughs> and then after uh, Daniel and I give our initial reactions, we'll let uh, Stuart and Samantha take the conversation and bring it home. And post-credit, I believe that they are going to talk about Wonder Woman. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And so just real quickly, my review of Wonder Woman is, it's a great movie. <laughs> better than um, better than the, the worst MCU movies for sure, and better than all of the DCEU movies. All right. Well, that said, I'm going to play the sounder do my thing, and then go take a nap while Stuart and Samantha take care of the episode. Opening statements. All right, so I've already explained what we're doing in case you are uh, new to the podcast. And 
If you are new to the podcast, welcome, and I appreciate you listening and hope you'll stick around. We are covering as many different things in the MCU as quickly as we can because there's a lot being thrown at us, not the least of which being some new Spider-Man stuff that just got thrown at us, that Venom and um, Silver and Black and Silver or whatever they're calling the Black Cat Silver Sable uh, movie. Yeah, so we're, we're getting through Daredevil Season 2 right now, and I think we'll be done with that in time for Spider-Man Homecoming and, and all that. But um, yeah, all that to say, thanks for listening. Welcome to Welcome to Level 7, and now let's hear what I had to say about this episode when it first was binged, because it wasn't really air. You know what I mean. When I first watched it, here is what I thought. Hello, future people. People of the future, I come to you from the past to bring to you a message about well, I wish it was something maybe more important, but it's about Daredevil and this episode, episode 10, which I'm going to label being about confrontations. You have a confrontation between Matt and Kingpin, and Matt does not walk out of that one well. Um, I honestly felt like... Um, wait, I, I, you know, I remembered having more thoughts about this episode than that, but... Apparently something got messed up. Ah, okay. Well, that's okay. Confrontation. That's a good thought there, past Ben. But maybe next time you could, you know, call back if you get cut off or something like that. You know, that's just me, you know, and I get the benefit of hindsight here, uh, past Ben. So now let's find out what, what past Daniel thought about the episode. And it, it might even be longer than what I had to say. Why, hey, hey, Daredevil Season 2, the man in the box. What's in the box? What's in the box? The answer is Wilson? Question mark. Hey, Agent Daniel here. Well, I'm really curious, curious, to see how we're going to connect. <coughs> Punisher in the hand. How do these two things come together? <coughs> I've got a cough. <coughs> oh, those toxins in my system. Why is the hand using me as an incubator? Yeah, so annoying. But anyway, why? how are we going to bring these together? How do these parts collide and cross? Because, again, I'm really more interested in what's going on in Frank and who's blaming Frank for these murders. So that's so what I want to know. Uh, how are we bringing this together? Um, three episodes to go, maybe a little bit like season one, feel like a little rushy-rushy to the end. But who knows, maybe it's a three-hour war with the Punisher on one side, the hand on the other, man on the other, and eh, who knows where the crime fits in. All right, peace out later, bye. Oh, my goodness, this show is just falling apart. <laughs> by the way, you know, that message was longer than mine, but only by like 25 seconds. Oh, man, hey. I think Samantha and Stuart are going to do a better job than Daniel and Ben on this episode. And Daniel and Ben did not set a very high bar. <sighs> okay. So let's get some real discussion about the man in the box. And here, here's Stuart and Samantha. Case evidence. So, yes, here we are, Ben. We have taken over the show, the meat of the show, kind of, not really. 
I don't think we've actually taken over the, the, the show very much, so what do you think, Samantha? We've taken over the show completely once. Yes. Like a few weeks ago, and we, we've done episodes where um, Ben was not here for the discussion, but he would come in and put things together. Yes, and and hopefully you heard Ben talking with past Ben, and that was awkward, because those are always... <laughs> honestly, that's part of the the funnest part of these shows, these episodes, to hear Ben and past Ben bicker, but not in real time. <laughs> so, Ben, if you're listening, if you can make that happen in real time, that would be amazing. <laughs> oh, not to mention um, past Daniel. I hope he called in for the... Remember to call in for this episode. Yeah, I hope past Daniel did, too. Um, I'm, I'm kind of hoping present Stuart remembers to call in for the Iron Fist episodes. <laughs> Those are, yeah. those are difficult. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, Mine it, are at first a bit boring. I will just to give you a little hint. I think they're a little spoilers! boring. Spoilers! Spoilers! <laughs> Besides, no. Iron Fist hasn't happened yet, has it? No, it hasn't. No, not at all. No. Uh-uh. Okay. So Iron Fist is still <laughs> Iron Fist is still out in the ether, going to be amazing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but right now we're talking about Daredevil season two, episode ten. Do you have a, a title for that? The Man in the Box. Good title. Good throw. I mean that we worked well with that. I think we deserve a pat on the back. This uh, that title actually reminds me of two things. One, the Alice in Chains song. <laughs> and two, the movie Seven at the end, where they're like, what "What's in the box? box? What's in the box? No." Yeah. But what's in a weird way is I I thought that this might have been a more appropriate title for the previous episode, where you you have um, Frank in prison, mm-hmm. because it's called Man in the Box. I mean, but I I, I feel like the box is still referring to prison. <laughs> it's just a different uh, man. True. I feel like it's, it's, I mean, okay, obviously you've watched the episode, so we're not going to go there, but I, I feel like it's um, Wilson in the box, and I feel like he's the guy they're talking about in in the Alice in Chains song. <laughs> the Alice in Chains song is about media censorship. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I meant the Daredevil episode. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I was confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was curious about that when I was doing research, and I looked it all up. And yeah, the the song is about media censorship. So I wonder if that in a, in a very strange way. Well, it's a very strange band. Let's just be honest. Yeah. And I would never, by the way, I would never have pegged you as like a hardcore Alice in Chains listener. <laughs> And you 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 threw out like Chris Cornell recently, and I was like, "Wow, Samantha's oh, into yeah. the hard rock." I, I love rock and roll. I was more a boys to men guy myself. I love roll. Put another dime in the jukebox, baby. Oh, now yeah. we have to pay royalties, so please. Stop. I was listening to ELO this morning, and uh, let's see what else. Yeah, was but I to? ELO's yeah. on the Guardians Two soundtrack, so it works out. Yeah, it's still Marvel, but. <laughs> But I was listening to it, I was like, man, it, it would have been a really great tour if they could have put ELO and Queen together on a tour. That would have been amazing. Yeah? but No, I have no <laughs> clue what you were talking about. I mean, I understand that those two are, it's it's Electrical Light Orchestra, 
Is that what it yes. is? ELO? Okay. Like I, the only way, the only reason I know that is because of the Guardians 2 volume awesome mix 2. That's the only way I know that. Um, it's great. It, it, yeah, it's, and you can let your kids listen to it. It's not scary at all. It's, it's very bouncy and fun. Yeah, I can let my kids listen to it. Um, we actually yes. listened to, uh, I can't stop this feeling from the Guardians 1 soundtrack on repeat for like, <laughs> An hour. <laughs> ooga chaka, ooga chaka. Alright. That is a fun song. Yeah. But again, we're not talking about Guardians. Although that's that was some good that no. was some good movies. Um Yes. Okay, so for everybody who's listening who wants to hear that, Samantha, would you please do the Groot thing? I am okay, Groot. there you go. You got that out of the way. Uh <laughs> let's talk about um don't you wish you could fast forward to 2018 and see all of the Marvel superheroes in Infinity War? Like, yes. I wish I could do that right now. Yes. Oh. <laughs> okay. You know, it's it's funny because before we started recording, we are talking about how I'm ADD, and apparently you are too. Yeah. Because <laughs> we should be talking about... Daredevil. Yes, Daredevil. <laughs> Season 2, Episode 10, The Man in the Box, not the Allison Chain song. We established that it's Wilson Fisk in prison. <laughs> Go! <laughs> okay. So, in the very beginning, if you remember last episode, there were some people that were held in, in cages under this warehouse by the hand, and they were having something drained into out of them, or they were having blood drained out of them and something put into them. Or there were, like, lots of tubes going everywhere. And there was the sarcophagus and Nobu was there and Daredevil and Nobu got into a big fight again and Nobu escaped with the sarcophagus. So uh, this episode picks up with Sergeant Mahoney coming into the warehouse and he finds Stan the accountant with his son, Daniel, and the other victims of this experiment by the hand in the basement of the warehouse. Outside, Mahoney calls for ambulances, um, and there he he meets up with a beaten Daredevil. Mahoney asks if he knows who did this to these people, and Daredevil doesn't tell the whole truth, saying, but he says that he's working it out. But these people are connected to the Yakuza. He asks Mahoney to divert these victims to Metro General because he knows someone, Claire, who can discreetly care for them while he works out who these people are. At the hospital, Claire works to save the victims from their near death. Mahoney says he'll post extra officers to guard them and drops the phrase, our mutual friend to Claire. She says she doesn't know who, who, what he's talking about, but clearly she's annoyed to hear it. <laughs> Cause remember at this time, Claire's not speaking to Matt um, or the, or they got into an argument earlier. Anyways, um, Fellow nurse Louisa remarks that this doesn't look quite like an overdose, and Claire notices that the victim's fingerprints have have been burned off. In the hallway, Matt catches up with Claire. She asks him what's going on, and he replies that Nobu did this to these people, and someone may still come to kill them. She notices that he's badly hurt and gives him aspirin, also known as Catholic morphine. Uh... (laughs) Matt hears with his super hearing over a police radio that Frank Castle has escaped from prison. So, I have a couple questions, but I want to ask, do you have any anything to say before? Uh, Claire is not Night Nurse, again. 
But she's a nurse who works at night, so... Yeah. I'm still upset about that. Okay, no, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, do you remember in season one if Daredevil or Matt could hear Nobu's heartbeat? No, I don't. Okay, yeah, I couldn't either. If only there was but a way that research. we could go back and look it up. If only. <laughs> I did research, and yes, um, he could. But Nobu has the ability to slow his heartbeat to a rate that's so low that Daredevil can't hear it. So, I'm going to be very honest. I didn't realize okay. that was Nobu the first time I watched this. Like, I didn't, it didn't, maybe because I was watching it while doing dishes or something like that. But, like, I didn't connect that that this guy was Nobu that, you know, went down in the sarcophagus or whatever to the guy who put the royal beat down on Matt in the first season. And I kind of don't feel like they paid it off very well. I feel like they're setting a lot of stuff up for season three that didn't pay off. That's not paying off right now. But that's just me. Okay. Well, maybe you were doing the dishes because I picked up on it right away. Well, who's got the ADD? And, uh, it, <laughs> yeah, and it, it clarified clarified it for me when he took the uh, his mask off and he sh- it showed that um, his face had been burned. I knew exactly who it was. Sorry. Okay. Well, good for well. you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, so when you did realize it was him, do you, were you surprised? Again, I didn't feel I I don't feel the weight of it. I don't understand like to me, yes, he's back, but it's a comic book movie or comic book show. Everybody's going to come back at some point. Right? Okay. So the weight of it it's not very heavy and it's not the future. So I don't understand like what this means again i feel like they're setting something up for a big confrontation yeah the hand's pretty bad but again what does it matter so we're good we'll get to it i'm sure i'm sure that they will resolve this in a way that makes a lot more sense and you look back on it and go oh that's why it's a big deal right no boo is actually batman that would be funny (laughs) Or he's a zombie. Well, what if he was yeah, zombie Batman? Being... Zombie Batman. Uh, uh, that'd be awful. <laughs> it's what I do. I eat brains. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, so moving on now. Foggy, Karen, and Matt reunite at the courthouse to meet with Reyes about Castle's escape because they're still his lawyers on paper. Karen notes that Frank couldn't have orchestrated an escape that quickly. Matt realizes that Frank ended up in the same block as Wilson Fisk, and he may have made the escape happen. In her office, D.A. Reyes, with with Blake Tower in attendance, confesses that her office secretly put together the gang meetup that resulted in the death of Frank's wife and children. Their purpose was to draw out a new covert drug dealer called Blacksmith. They had an undercover cop at the sting, but they didn't clear the park of civilians to prevent from showing their hand. Then Reyes backsteps and says that if she 
thought civilians would get hurt that she wouldn't have given an okay. She's giving all of this information to this three because that morning she found a copy of Frank's head x-ray in her daughter's backpack. Her daughter is now in an unknown location with officers. Karen tries to assure her that it's out of Frank's character to target innocence, but Reyes won't listen. She wants to know what the office of Nelson and Murdoch know to keep no one else from getting hurt. Matt hears a gun being cocked in the far distance. He pushes Foggy and Karen down. The office is shot full of holes in a rain of fire. Foggy has been shot in the shoulder. Karen isn't hurt because Matt threw himself over her. Tower is okay, but Reyes is dead. Later outside of the DA's office, paramedics are patching up Foggy and preparing to take him to the hospital. He asks Matt not to go after Frank Castle, whom he believes killed Reyes, but Matt leaves committed to his mission. Karen and Tower approach Foggy, and Tower confesses that the cover-up began before he joined the DA's office. As time went on, he noticed that Reyes kept getting more and more sloppy with her cover-up. Since his own hands were tied, he slipped Karen's co- the copy of Frank's x-ray. He's going to leave town and advises Karen and Foggy to do the same. The paramedics take Foggy away, and Karen heads off to look for Frank. So, do you remember being surprised in your first watch about Reyes' involvement in the shooting in this in the park? Uh, I can't remember. But, okay. I do remember it being... I remember thinking in this watch, in the second watch, that it was a very well done uh, thing. The storytelling element of this was very well done. It was very well plotted out. You had a good resolution with um, with Reyes. You know, basically, the only way she's going to divulge that secret is when her and hers are being um, threatened. And then, of course, she dies because now that we've the secret's out, we don't need her anymore. Um, right. <laughs> so uh, I remember that being well plotted. Um, I don't remember if I remember it being a surprise because I kind of thought she was dirty to begin with. You don't wave, a, you don't, you don't wave your flag like that unless you're unless you got something to hide. Um. So that that was my that was my thought on that. Do you remember? At this point in the episode, where do you think, who do you think pulled the trigger on that? Let me put it that way. Um, I remember in my first watch, I wasn't quite sure, but I wasn't, I was, I was hearing Karen say, this is not Frank. This is not Frank, but it would be in Frank's, um, it would have been in Frank's character to shoot Reyes, but he would not have put the others in danger. Right. It's too sloppy. <laughs> it's too, yeah. it's too haphazard. Um, and, yeah. and, and I, and I guess this is back to the media literate part of things, I guess. I, they didn't show him. Now, granted, they didn't show him in the very first part of this season either, but it wasn't as, this wasn't like that. In the first part of the season, especially like the Irish mob shootout, that was very surgical and it very had, had a very specific look to it. If they wanted to uh, duplicate that, or at least that feeling, it didn't do that. They didn't film it the same way. It didn't have the surgical strike. It was kind of just haphazard. So I'm wondering what the filmmakers' motivations were. Were they trying to tell us that it was... Um, that it was Frank or were they 
were they trying to, you know, play the, you know, show us that no, this isn't Frank. You should know better by this. You should, you should be paying attention. If you're paying attention, you'll know that this isn't Frank. Um, it, it, that's an interesting sort of dive down that I don't know that a lot of people would take. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Karen is within the, uh, the threesome of Karen, Foggy, and Matt. Karen is the heart of the, that three. So if she's going to, if she says something is happening, it, that's what's going on. Um, it, yes. Most part. Of- yeah. She's, she's not, she, yeah, she's not going to lie to you. Uh, and, um, uh, I was even, I, well, I, okay. Mostly I agree with you. 98%. But there's that other 2% okay. where she's killed somebody and we still don't know why she was being targeted by Wilson Fisk to begin with. I thought she was being targeted because she took something home from the company she used to work for. Oh, maybe that was, but she's got a secret. She's got a secret. That's my point. She does have a secret. And it's not just killing Wesley. Though I'm sure that it wouldn't be good if Wilson Fisk ever figured out because he would be coming after her. Yeah. Well, I mean, that'll be a, that'll be a a full season on its own, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, and I'm sure Daredevil will be there to rescue well, yes. her. Yeah. And then they'll be kissing in the rain, and that'll be stupid. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe Daredevil with the assistance of uh, Foggy, and Foggy runs into to get her out of wherever she is. Well, Daredevil fights off Fisk or whoever is there. Yeah. That could be fun. Maybe Luke Cage will show up. Ooh. Yeah. About that, that hasn't happened either. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then and then maybe Luke Cage will steal Matt's girl. That'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. I had a question for you. Oh, why sure. did Foggy send Karen away? Is Foggy that much of an idiot? You have a beautiful woman saying to you, hey, let me go be out there with you. Let me go to the hospital with you. And he's like, nah, nah, babe, I got this. I got this. I think it's because Karen's too much of a, of a reminder of um, uh, Matt's failure as a lawyer this season. Because she was their paralegal. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I think Foggy was dumb. I love Foggy, but I think he was dumb. I think Foggy was in a cranky mood because he had a hole in his shoulder. That's probably true, too. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, some people, once they get cranky, (laughs) they don't want anyone else around them, so... Are you saying he was maybe hangry? Like he should have had a Snickers bar? (laughs) He might not have had breakfast He might not have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Okay. Shall we move on? Shall we move on? Let's move on. Okay, so for the rest of this episode, I'm going to... There's, like, three different storylines that are kind of tangled together, and then it comes all together in the end. And what I'm going to do is I'm breaking up those storylines so we have one specific block as we Mm -hmm. go on. It's just easier to read as opposed to going from scene to scene. So, Yes. So this next block is Matt visiting the prison. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. 
to go see Fisk. So um, at the prison, he is greeted by attorney Donovan, who has an, an affidavit in Braille and comments that Fisk is a very thoughtful man. He outlines the affidavit ab- about what Matt Cannon cannot do regarding Fisk. Any violation on Matt's part will result in a large financial penalty. Matt is clearly nervous, but he forges ahead. In the meeting room, Fisk is chained to a table. They have 10 minutes to speak. He remarks that they met once before his trial at, at an art gallery. Matt tells him that he knows he facilitated Castle's release, but Fisk replies that he has no reason to do that. Matt believes he has reason that Frank is a loose cannon and has been aimed at someone. He's just not sure who. Fisk remarks that Matt is looking for answers, but he is out of power. Matt doesn't believe that either. Fisk tries to end, end the meeting, but Matt threatens to bar Vanessa from re-entering the country with one letter to the right office. He will use all of his legal ability to break Fisk. While he, he Fisk, can still get out of prison and visit Vanessa, he'll never really be able to leave his home, New York City. Fisk loses his temper, breaks his bonds, beats Matt against the table, and threatens the lawyers who put him in prison, Nelson and Mur- Murdoch. Matt tries to take all of the blame, but Fisk isn't budging. When he gets out of prison, he will wreak more more havoc on Hell's Kitchen than Frank Castle ever will. Matt leaves and is clearly shaken. Later, as Fisk is eating dinner, he reflects on the conversation he he had with Matt and asks to see the file Donovan has on the young lawyer. Okay, to quote Daniel, I was tense. (laughs) I was tense. I was tense. So the one question I had in that scene... Do you think Matt was scared? Yeah. Yeah, you think Matt was scared? I think he was very scared. Because Fisk is a really strong guy. He has a lot of power. He knows that it's it's good chances are that he's regaining power Mm -hmm. in the prison. He's he's a tough adversary. Yeah. But do you think Matt could take him physically? Well, he did. At the end of season one, yeah, he bested him with strength. And he didn't even throw a rock at his head. That, that, do you get it? Is it like a, a um, David and Goliath reference? No, it's Princess Bride. Oh! Oh, oh! I love that movie. That's a good movie. You've bested my giant. We'll talk about that movie later. <laughs> Anyways, let's go. Let's keep moving. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was my only... It It is weird to see your hero um, scared. Yes. Right? That's one of the things I think the Netflix series does very well. And Marvel's series, you know, Marvel's movies, like Iron Man 3, the much maligned Iron Man 3. <laughs> um, unless you're me. <laughs> unless, uh, it, you know, Tony was scared and Matt's scared in this. I, so that's an interesting interesting thing um it's the first time i think i've really seen matt just shaken right down to his core yeah well i think part of it too is that matt clearly has not been sleeping a lot lately uh probably he had a ton of coffee going through him i guarantee you he was more on edge anyways i mean he had just come in from the courthouse that had been shot up 
So, so yeah, I mean, so Matt's probably in need of a Snickers bar too. <laughs> he's in need. He's in need of, of a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Get his play play <laughs> teddy bear. Yeah, I mean, not just a nap. I think he needs to go on a vacation. <laughs> well, he can't because yeah. it's what I do. Maybe a therapist, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, that, I mean, and that leads into to scenes later on, right, where he's where he's trying to he, he's taking on the all of the all of the sins of hell's kitchen it's right. his job to to fix them right um, right yeah so. yeah so that will yeah we'll get to that in a little bit um you know what's interesting though on this last rewatch that i did when i was taking notes i realized something I think remember how he says that um how Matt says that Frank is a loose cannon and he's been aimed at someone. Mhm. I think Fisk knows a heck of a lot more than has been let on. I think that he believes that um Frank can find the blacksmith and take him out and that will take uh, when he, when Fisk gets out of prison, that will take the blacksmith out of the drug dealing market and he can regain more power that way. Mm, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, that one thing that Wilson, Wilson Fisk is, is a player of the long game, right? And so right. he can definitely see, he's not thinking one, two, three steps ahead. He's thinking 10, 15 steps ahead. Um, and that's and that makes him such an amazing character, and and yes. Vincent D'Onofrio really brings that. Every time he's on screen, I'm I'm just focused on what he is. I also remember him from Men in Black, <laughs> so <laughs> I, that 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 the thing that goes through my brain when I'm watching this this uh, Wilson Fisk character is him talking about Vanessa, but then asking his wife for sugar and water, and it's this really great juxtaposition that proves that Vincent D'Onofrio is just a, a fine, fine actor of our generation. Yes. So. Oh, amazing. Not cast in enough stuff. I I think that though that's his choice. It's true. I, I personally do feel like he doesn't uh, he can take whatever jobs he wants. Like he was on this episode of Homicide, which was that's an amazing show that didn't get its due. Um and the episode that he's on is an amazing episode. I think he won an Emmy for. Uh, it, it, it's fantastic. It's the one where he gets caught in the subway. Oh wow! Hmm. Caught between the the track and the sub and the um and the cars. And in order for him to get out, his body's literally twisted like a like a rubber band. Oh! And in order for him to get out, he's basically gonna die. Oh! <laughs> and oh, it's. Uh, Homicide's a great show. If you've ever if you ever get a chance to watch it, Homicide's a great show. Is it gruesome? No, I mean it was on TV, but it was after, it was Watershed TV, so it was after you know the kids were supposed to be in bed. It's okay. not any more gruesome than Daredevil. Okay, so yeah, because you know me and gore and blood. Yeah. And, I mean it's yeah. not it's not any worse than that. Okay, okay. If I ever find it, I will watch that episode. There's a great. Um, 
tangent that we're going to go on real quick. Uh, <laughs> what, what show is that? It's PBS. It's Frontline. There's a great Frontline documentary about it, and it comes on this two VHS thing where you watch an hour documentary about the creation of that episode, and it goes right into the episode. It's great. Okay. If you ever get a chance to watch that, I highly suggest it. Anyway, full stop. Okay. Next topic. <laughs> okay, yeah, so the next block. Um so we're uh, the next block is about Karen. Uh, so she goes to the bulletin and she confirms mm-hmm. to, to Ellison that she was there at the courthouse shooting, but she's okay. She doesn't believe that it was Castle behind the shooting. They try to figure out who Frank would go to next. They realize it could be the medical examiner at the trial who falsified the records, Tepper. Kepper is going to go to the hotel where he's being held. And Ellison won't let her go alone. At the hotel, they find that the Emmy is already full of holes. And he's cut. There are police there, and it's an awful scene. And I am not... Well, it's it's not so bloody as other uh, scenes in this show. But anyways. <laughs> Karen says that this chaos isn't Frank's style. But Ellison isn't listening because she's too emotionally involved. She may be projecting. He asks her to think of anyone else who may be on castle's list she has all of her files at her apartment before she can leave ellison asks two cops to go with her she's upset that he's being patriarchal and overprotective because he wouldn't have done this to ben and he replies that he did and he'll never make that mistake again especially to someone who he who he cares about at her apartment karen gathers her files while the officers wait outside in the hallway she hears a thud in the corridor and reaches for a gun in a drawer. Approaching her front door, Frank is there. She keeps the gun trained on him and has him raise his hands above his head. He's unarmed. He says that it wasn't him that killed all of those people who died that same day. He he hears a noise and he takes her to the floor as another rain of bullets cover her walls. She now knows for certain that it wasn't him after all, and they leave. Did you hear the baby crying in that scene? Yes, that is the worst part of that scene. <laughs> the, that, again, one of those things that really just hits it home. Yeah. You know, because... Frank would not have chosen to shoot her in her apartment like that. No, and Frank wouldn't have been, again, as haphazard. Right. You know, Frank is... You've seen him in The Sniper, like when he was taking out Grotto in her car, right? Mm-hmm. That was a one-shot, one-kill type of thing. I have another question for you. Yes. Do we like Ellison? Yes. Because he's he's gone from being that jerk in season one to now being a nice guy who cares because he made a mistake in season one and he's not going to let another person that he cares about die. So I understand her part, but he he has his reasons and they're very valid reasons. And I applaud him. Yes, all of those things are true, and I'm not, especially the you applauding him part, I can't deny any of that. Um, I don't know, he seems smarmy to me. He seems a little bit holier than thou to me in some cases. He was like that in season one as well, and yes, he still is this season, but in this particular moment, he's acting out of character for a Mm -hmm. good reason. Mm Mm-hmm. And I do like that he is sending, you know, he, he grabs the cops and says, you know, go with her. I kind of wonder, like, <laughs> what, 
why they get to follow his orders all of a sudden, but, you know, I, I let that go. Um, oh. It's like, you're not a cop. You're especially not a cop who's in charge of me. Why do you get to tell me what to do? But whatever, whatever. Oh, probably because it would have taken up too much time to say this lady is a potential target for uh, um, Frank right. Castle. Right. But, yeah, it's, it would have been kind of cool if they had said that, but... Yeah. yeah, and as soon as you invoke that, I guess it works out. Yeah. Um, overall, I do like him. Yeah, I want to punch him in the face. <laughs> I want to like, just stop being so condescending to me. But I guess I'm not her, so. Yeah. Okay. Shall we move on? Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we're going to go to Electra. If you remember, um, was it last episode? Yes. Um, last episode, Electra and Matt, um, she killed this kid and Matt was unhappy with it. So he told her to leave and now she's leaving the country. So she's at the airport hangar bar. She orders a tequila and a handsome foreign man sits next to her at the bar and orders the same. He flirts with her in French, speculating where she is going based on her clothing. Is she going skiing? Shopping? Who knows? Uh, she's charmed and learns his name is Jacques. She introduces herself as Louise, and he switches into English and calls her Electra. She remains cool and asks how he knows her name. He knows everything about her and lists off several cases where she murdered people. Uh, how on earth do you get six people into the trunk of a Maserati? I will never know. Anyways, she... You chop them up really small. Ew, thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> she directly asks if he is going to try to kill her, and he confirms. Always up for a challenge, she no longer waits, wants to wait for the fight. And they do, making a huge mess of the airport hangar. Jacques is a well-trained fighter. He pulls out a pair of side, um, but she takes them from him and stabs him. She says that she doesn't care what the hand wants from her. So Jacques says that he it wasn't the hand that sent him. It was stick. <gasps> <laughs> what? Save it for a moment later. No, that's the moment now. Anyways, she twists the side <laughs> and withdraws the blades, killing him. Okay, now you can react. No! <laughs> the, the reaction part is stick. I know. So, I'm what? guessing you were surprised? Okay. Yes, I was surprised. Yeah, me too. Uh, I think that took everybody by surprise, because, I mean, <laughs> stick is an underhanded dude. Let's not Let's not be, you know ambiguous about that he doesn't yeah. he doesn't he doesn't play his cards out in the open um he's another one who thinks you know 10 15 steps down the road he also has no you know problem with killing people apparently um he also makes ellison look like a soccer dad yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um uh, again uh, so this this ties in with the nobu thing all of this, all of this, not Wilson Fisk, not Punisher stuff. So whatever that might be, the hand, Electra, Nobu, Stick, any of that stuff, however it might be connected, is very long storytelling. Like I don't even feel like we're gonna get 
we're going to finish it by the end of the series. I feel like that's going to stuff go into Iron Fist and then into, you know, wherever else after this. I feel like that might be the thing that is tying all of these Netflix series together. Um, I don't know. It just feels like that's a big, long game. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, so we'll have to wait for, gosh, even up, I think even up to the Defenders, we're going to find out a lot more stuff. I yeah. haven't seen it yet. It has not been released yet, so I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but other than that, I never really understood her storyline um, because it doesn't it doesn't wrap up anytime. I mean, it kind of wraps up here, but she just kills a guy who was sent to kill her with Raphael's. Was it Raphael? Jacques. Who had no? Who had the size in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Oh yeah, it was Raphael. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, with Raphael, another Ninja Turtle reference. Oh yes, yeah. you know the Ninja Turtles are based off yes. of Daredevil, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was we don't need to go that. Yeah, I was telling my boyfriend that the other day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, wow, laying down some nerd cred with the boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> hey, when I met uh, him, I was wor- I was carrying my Punisher mug, so yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, so. I never understood that. I What I was kind of going after is this is just some guy that, you know, somebody was collecting revenge on her because she killed so many people. And so in my notes, I wrote, you reap what you sow. You know, she yeah. has sown a lot of destruction. She is reaping destruction. Yeah, she's going to get out of it. So yeah. we'll see how we'll go. Yeah. And again, um, visually, she's wearing a white top, like a mm-hmm. little white sweater. And at the end of it, she has blood on her sweater again. And it's, it's noticeable. But speaking of the Psy, I'm not adding an S on the end of it, but it's a Japanese word. And in Japanese, there there's no distinction between singular and plural. It's just. Is it's, that true? Yeah. It's like it's like my sensei, my sensei, Susan and Jay. It, I'm talking about two sensei, but hmm. it means. Yeah. Um so, yeah, I don't mean to sound all snooty, but I know I am, but there you go. <laughs> okay. Um, but anyway, so the- when her signature weapon is our psi. Um, so that's in this series, th- this is where she gets them. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, yeah. And that's kind of cool. And I yeah. knew that, you know, I knew that going in because I'd seen the Jennifer Garner movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yes, you reap what you sow. Yes. Uh, so we are certain to see her again. I'm pretty sure of that. Because once she found out that Stick was involved yeah. in her attempted murder, she's not leaving New York anytime soon. At least no. not until he's gone. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What's next? Okay, so this is the last block. Back at Metro General. Stan's son Daniel wakes up. Claire tells him he's safe and checks on his health. She asks him if he remembers anything. He says no. Stan arrives and Claire lets them have a moment alone. She promises Daniel that everything will be better, but Daniel looks kind of ominous. So she goes up to the roof. She she got some coffee on the way. She goes up to the roof. She meets Matt, who is in his daredevil uniform without the helmet and gloves. He refuses her offer of coffee. He's listening to Foggy several floors down watching TV. 
apparently the the game wasn't so good, so that's why I changed the channel. But anyways, I digress. Um, Claire says that he should go down and see him and stop acting like a murderer or, you know, just a big jerk. Uh, <laughs> he changes subjects by asking about the new patients. She says that they're alive and one is awake but can't remember anything. The toxicology report reads like a cheap science fiction novel with an unidentified organic substance in their blood. Someone slowly bled them and replaced their blood with toxins, possibly to incubate something. Matt is obviously exhausted but won't stop. She tries to argue that others are able to look into this case, and he needs to rest. He won't give up because Nobu, someone who was dead, will figure out where they are at any moment, not to mention that Fisk is now running the prison where he's being held. Matt thought that he could be both lawyer and vigilante, but nothing he has done has changed for the better. He wants to isolate himself from being an attorney and having friends. Claire tries to encourage him that what he needs is to be a friend and go see Foggy, but he refuses and she heads downstairs alone. Later, Matt hears grafting hooks and a line being shot from a gun. Downstairs, Claire hears the fire alarm go off and realizes that the hand has arrived. Outside, hand ninjas are claiming the building. Matt puts his helmet and gloves on. Claire runs to the hand victims and realizes they're not victims after all. All of them are standing and poor, poor Stan the accountant is dead on the floor. She runs. Out the window, more grafting hooks and lines go up. Foggy observes the lines from his room and the so-called victims wait. Just as the episode comes to an end, Daredevil runs into action. Okay. The scene on the roof between Matt and Claire, I had a hard, when I was putting these blocks together, I had a hard time trying to decide where to put it. And I decided to put it here because all of this happens at the end and it takes place in the same location, the hospital. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and basically everything they talk about is a summary of everything that's been going on this season so far. Uh, so what do you think of Matt taking on all of these, these responsibilities for everything that's been going on? Uh, I'm sitting here trying to define it in a real world situation. I mean, obviously Matt is a comic book character. He's play, you know, he's going over the top for this. He's, um, feeling all the emotions and 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 you know trying to save a city and all that sort of stuff. What I'm trying to do, what I was trying to do in my brain, was figure out if there was a real world counterpart to this. It could just be that he is you know feeling all of the Catholic guilt because Catholics are good at that. It could also be that he's you know overworking himself because people are good at that i mean i am good at that (laughs) so you know if i don't if i don't go to work i don't have food i I can't feed my family so i kind of get that um so that's kind of where i was going with that i personally think matt needs to take a nap (laughs) but i also don't have to deal with the same sort of things that he has to deal with. You know, the worst that I have to deal with is that the hot dogs don't ring up right. Um, and so it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a disconnect for me there, but at the same time, they're, they're connecting it in a way that makes sense that you, you can be relatable. 
that's 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 where my mind was when I was watching this. Yeah. He reminds me I'm sorry, Mom. She listens to the podcast sometimes. Hi, Samantha's mom. <laughs> he reminds me a bit of my mother. She will work until she's drop dead tired. And I'm not kidding. She will sometimes fall asleep on the couch sitting up when she's really tired. So, mm-hmm. Mom, you're a superhero. <laughs> See? Good good way to turn it around. I yeah, mean, and she, she does take on a lot of responsibility. She works hard. She still is very much a mother figure to me sometimes. So, and to my brothers. So, I mean... I guess my question, though, is what drives people to do that? Um, for my mother, maternal instinct. Right, because if she doesn't do it, it's not going to get done. Right. Um, and and I think for Matt, it's the same thing. If he doesn't go out there, it's not like there's no other superheroes in New York. It's true. <laughs> but but if Matt doesn't go out there and 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 fight crime at night, uh, he like he said in the very beginning of the season, if I don't go out there, people die. Yeah. He's carrying around this huge weight that we don't see from other superheroes. Yeah. Or sometimes we do. It's just not to this magnitude because, you know, he doesn't have, like, a government paycheck or he doesn't have billions of dollars to support what he's doing. He's That's got true. He's got to work. He's got to be the lawyer. He's He's got to be – he's hard-driven, and he's got to do the vigilante thing at night. So – yeah, I mean, he's got a lot more going on his shoulders just because he doesn't have a huge support Listen. system behind him. He just, basically for the lawyer stuff, he just has Foggy and Karen until recently. Nice going, Matt. And they weren't even bringing in a whole bunch of money. Yeah. <laughs> Honest- I mean, they were bringing strawberry rhubarb pie. Yeah, that's true. Um, So they were bringing home the pie, just, you know, it was literal pie and not a paycheck. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> But honestly, if he had just told Foggy what was going on, I think Foggy would have been very cranky about it, but he would have been more understanding about why he couldn't show up for all the lawyer stuff. Well, no, I don't know that that's true. I mean, if he just said that Electra's in town and I have to go be with Electra. Oh, yeah, he would have been cranky about that. But And he would not have. I mean, he would have saved it. He, basically, the only difference is he would have been cranky. <laughs> it would have had a reason for him being cranky rather than just not having a reason. It's true, but Matt could have also argued, hey, we're adults now. It's it's not a relationship thing. This is business. She's giving us a paycheck. And then he'd go off and do his thing no matter what Foggy says because, you know, you cannot stop Matt even though he's told he needs about three days of sleep. And I'm, cla- I'm so glad that Claire, I think... Claire is one of the few people he will listen to. And she's she's a nurse. She understands what it... She's a nurse. She understands what it means to be overworked and exhausted. So she... And still still having to, like, get that job done. Right. And patching up the same three crackheads every night. I mean, basically, that's what Matt's doing at this point is, you know, he's like a nurse to the nth degree. Yeah. Yeah. 
Except, you know, half the time he's the one putting them in the hospital as opposed to them coming in on their own. But anyways. Right. <laughs> I, I want to I, I see Turk again. <laughs> oh, yeah. What did you do with my keys, man? But <laughs> That was a great scene. Yeah. So, I hope that Matt starts to take care of himself a little bit. Because, you know, self... Self... Preservation is an important part of anything, and even nurses get told that. Right. So, you know, and I guess in my notes I put, is there a real-world correlation? And I guess it's being a nurse. (laughs) Or a doctor, you know, anyone that works in an ER. Anyone that works in an ER, but not a doctor like Doctor Strange, right? Not somebody who flies in, or Stephen Strange, not somebody who flies in and solves the problem and then flies out. I mean... It, it's well, it, there's a difference between having it, it's the haves and the haves nots. There's a difference between Doctor Stephen Strange being a multi gajillionaire at, at the beginning of the movie. I'm not talking about the towards the end. And there's a difference in um, Matt Murdock or even Claire being you know way down at the other end of that spectrum, but still having to. Patch up the same three crackheads every night. Right. Yeah. So, um, at the very end, were you surprised that the so-called victims were just really laying in wait? No, because I've seen enough horror movies and I've seen enough comic book movies that as soon as I saw them in the... And I've run enough D&D adventures <laughs> that as soon as I saw them with the blood coming out of their... The, the tubes and the stuff I'm like oh they're zombies they're gonna have to be fought at some point um so yeah oh look now they're gonna have to be fighting <laughs> but again i can't decide if this whole not fisk not punisher storyline is taking its time to slowly build to something or plodding along and not knowing where it's going. Can't decide yet. I feel like, I hope that it's taking the time, it's building something layer upon layer upon layer, you know, slowly getting us to the point where when there's, when that storyline is tackled in earnest, we're going to have all of this history that, oh, okay, that's what they're using the blood from the victims, you know, way back in, in Daredevil season two. I hope that's the case. I, I I sincerely hope so too. And I and I will say for the most part, I do prefer the Netflix series over the movies because it takes its time in building a story and explaining why. And you do have these quiet moments, like on the roof between Matt and Claire, where you can kind of take a breath. Well, that, I mean, that's that's why these i mean would iron man work as a netflix series not in its current form for sure possibly yes actually part of what makes an iron man movie i think special is the fact that it's a bond movie it's super it's super spy you know traveling all over the world um these need to be slow. These need to be a novel. These need to be a slow plotting, you know, 
there's a reason it's on Netflix rather than and there's a reason it's on Netflix in one chunk rather than being laid out episodically. It's designed so that you keep turning the page every night. You know, this is the thing you read before you go to bed and you have to keep turning that page. Um, yes. So, yes. And that's why it works better than the movies. And I've said that before on this, on this very here podcast. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, are you ready for ratings? Ratings. Yes. Okay. Okay, Ben, play the sounder. Final verdict. Okay, so how many sigh out of five do you give the do you give this? Uh, a solid four. <laughs> <laughs> and I realize, I mean, okay, it delivered okay. on it delivered on all of the things that Daredevil needs to deliver on. It gave him a brooding. I I do what I do because I do it. Um, it gave him that. It gave him the ability to talk to all the characters. It advanced the story. Um, it didn't... The reason it's not a five is because I don't think that there were some, like, critical life questions, critical... To my mind, when an episode is as good, at, or when a piece of fiction is as good as it gets, um, not the jack nicholson movie when an episode when when the piece of fiction is as good as it gets as good as it can be it's asking you to evaluate the world you live in through the characters actions and characters um viewpoints and so we're not having to deal with any of that in this um in this episode and that's why it's a four not a five okay um I think I'm going to give this 4.25 out of five sci. Five sci. Five <laughs> sci. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Um, and I'm going to give it an extra little, just a little bit more for two reasons. One, just so I'm not repeating you. <laughs> <laughs> and two, because of Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, yeah. 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 Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. So is that like, you know, four psi plus a one prong? Because aren't yes. they like three pronged thing or maybe like half it's, a prong? It's three pronged with a handle. Right. So, yeah. Okay. And then the middle prong is longer. So I guess it balances out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was thinking of the handle. You can at least, you know, whack somebody with it. Oh, know, just... yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Alrighty, and okay, so now that we're done with all that silliness, <laughs> um, before we, I don't think we have any feedback. So before we go, do you have any final words? Just again, thank you guys for listening and thank you for sending in feedback. I, this episode was may or may not have any, I don't know, but thank you again. We, we love sitting around talking nerd stuff and, and we're just glad you listened. So. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And I've got to say, oh, man, I, my schedule lately has been insane. Like, I, I will wake up and I will wake up at 6 a.m., be at work at 7, and I don't really get home until about 10. And I am struggling to just find some time to just, you know, do simple things like eat, shower, sleep. And you know what I really, really want right now? About three days sleep. 
Thanks once more for listening. You've heard us. Now we'd love to hear from you. Just go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback to contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling one seventy seven fifty five level 7 You can also join the conversation by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash welcometolevel7, or by following us on Twitter, where we are level7pod. Welcome to Level 7 is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to help you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, get productive in your personal and professional life, theorize over TV shows, laugh at our clean comedy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, Godspeed. You've seen Wonder Woman, right? Yes, I have. Okay. I have some questions for you because I have not seen it. And I do want to take my oldest, who you might, you guys might remember gave a review of Guardians 2. I do want to take her to see that. Um, or at least let her watch it when it comes out on video. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, I have some questions for you. Okay. She is 11 years old, or will be in July. Okay. How how violent is it? It's not any more violent than a lot of the other uh, Marvel type movies. Mm-hmm. Not any more violent than than the Avengers. Um, she does go to war. Um, she yeah. By the way, guys, there may be some spoilers in this. So if you have not heard, if you have not seen Wonder Woman and you do not want to be spoiled, please stop it now. Uh. So yeah. So, so she goes to war. Um. There are are some scenes where um. She's fighting people, but yeah, it's not any worse than than say the Avengers as far as violence goes. Um, I do have one concern about um, nudity. Oh, really? There's yeah, there is some partial nudity where you do see uh, Chris. Oh gosh, which which Chris is he? His last name? He's Chris Pine, Captain Kirk. Chris, Come on! Yes, I I know, but there's like four Chris's right now that are just super popular in the in the like the the comics. Movie they do world, okay? all look the same, by the way. Anyway. <sighs> Anyways, two of which Pine. are in the Marvel Universe. Anyway, go ahead. Anyways, so uh, Diana, they're on her island, um, her hidden island, and she's never met a man before. And she comes in, and he's bathing. He's in a pool. He's in a really cool pool with water that glows. And um, she won't leave. And he needs to get out. So he stands up. And, or, I can't remember. Is it, or is it, like, as he's standing up to get out, she comes in. Maybe that's what happens. But you see just about everything but that. And but, but it's all from the backside, right? Mm, there is a little bit of front, but he's holding his hand strategically. Okay. okay. Yeah, I, and as I was watching this, um, I hate it when I'm taken out of a movie, but this is one of those moments where, where while I was watching it, I was taken out of, out of the movie. And I'm th- I was thinking if I had a child with me I would be so upset right now. And <laughs> I know to each their own and there's a whole argument about 
you know, if women are sexualized in movies, then men should be too, blah, blah, blah. I know I don't like women being sexualized. I don't like men being sexualized in movie. Magic Mike is not on my list of must-sees, okay? No way, no. Um, and so, I, yeah, just, just because as much as I don't appreciate sexualizing women, I don't appreciate this kind of sexualizing of men. And I know I've said things like, but, like that before, but Chris Pine is in nothing. And it's very clear that he's wearing nothing, and that really disturbed me. Okay, so so let's, let's just say I would much rather see um, the guys on Shield wearing suits. <laughs> so so yeah. yeah, I mean that's to each his own. Is yeah. is it relevant to the story? Eh, they could have done without it. I mean, there is some conversation between her and uh, or him and Diana about uh, sex. It's a very frank talk about sex. Um, but if you're taking, like, say, a 13 year old, um, mm-hmm. it, it in my opinion, it's an appropriately aged conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there, um, and he does say that this is something that should be between people when they're married. I appreciate that comment. Um, um, but, um, another thing that really bothered me is after they have that whole conversation later, it is Im- implied that they do end up sleeping together. Um, all you see is basically that, um, after this big fight, she saves the town all by herself. Though there is an argument about this. He doesn't really do anything sexually towards her until he sees her save the town and he appreciates that and he sees her for the powerful woman that she is and then he goes and he sleeps with her. Um, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, really? You had a whole conversation. You said that this is something that should be between married people and then you go and sleep with her anyways. They could have gotten married. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So- yeah, so here's me being a prude about. But that's not to say I didn't like the film. I really did like it. Do you think? Do you think it did what it is being touted as doing? Is sort of setting out a um, an example for a powerful women and and s- women superheroes can can hold their own movies and they don't necessarily need men to do such a thing. I think it's unfair to say they don't need men. I mean, because I, I don't think that you should have one without the other. But yeah, I, I do think that there are there. It is a truly a good female superhero movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's a wonderful movie. It's it's in my opinion, it's right up there with the original Superman movie. Oh, the Richard Donner. So, yeah. yeah, it's right up there. That's cool. And yeah, and I I really like the action sequences because they weren't too flashy. You didn't see a ton of explosions. It was just the right amount of action. And it's, and it's not, well paced. It's not super gory, right? No, no. Okay. Um, um do you there need- is oh there is a sequence where a woman is she a character she has to wear a mask for most of the movie and she takes it off and she's horribly scarred. So this is not for little children. No, no. no. I mean, Nana's did go see Guardians 2, so okay. <laughs> I'm not too too worried about stuff like that. Um, do you need to have seen Batman versus Superman? 
Not necessarily, because I have not. I still have not seen it. Um, oh, okay. I was aware that she was in the film and that she knows Batman. Uh, in the beginning and end, there are these sort of end cap scenes where it's in modern day Paris, and she receives this this photograph. And I am such a camera nerd, or such a photography nerd, because I she took out this picture, and it's on a piece of glass, and what would normally be white was clear on the glass, so you could see through it. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a dry plate photograph. Right. <laughs> yeah. And at that time, and there was such a thing as wet plate photography and that comes before and it was very difficult to use and dry plate photography was easier to do because you could store the plates and, mm-hmm. um, but, um, yeah, so that brought out the camera nerd in me and, so there are references to Bruce Wayne in the beginning and the end because Bruce sent her this photograph. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm still um, struggling to get through Batman versus Superman, so I'm, you don't need. You don't need. Don't worry about it. Don't, I'm don't. glad I don't do a DC <laughs> podcast because I I have tried watching that movie so many times, and as soon as Henry Cavill comes on as Superman, I'm like, nope, done. No. I'd like to see him as as a. Uh, James Bond. I can't wait for that. I'd love to see. I, I don't know if he's been cast, but I think he would make a great James Bond. I think he. I think anybody would make a better Superman, but I think he'd make a great <laughs> James Bond. Well, the way I feel about Superman is it's a very American character. Yes. It's it's like the idea of casting an American as the Doctor in Doctor Who. There, there's just uh, to me. Th- yeah, don't yeah, do I that. know. Don't do that. Well, to me, there's there's such a nuance in in character and and the way a society is, and mm-hmm. there I, I think that if you put a, an American in that role, they just I mean, not unless it's somebody like Gillian Anderson who did grow up in Britain for quite a while, and when she goes over there, she has a British accent, and it's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, unless you have somebody like that to. Just, you know, throw somebody who was an American into that role or just throw somebody who's British into an American, a fundamentally American role. It's just or a well-established American role who's a hero. To me, it just does not seem right. One of my problems with Man of Steel is that Clark Kent, Superman, is fundamentally in the light. And to my mind, he is a he is of the light. He is a character that is one hundred percent always good. And I might have said this on the podcast before, and I apologize if I have, but whatever. He is one hundred percent always good. And in Man of Steel, he makes choices that are not in line with that. That is yes. why I cannot watch that movie. I literally, I. I we watched it at the theater. I drove home, pot, got onto iTunes, and went Superman 1978. Bye. <laughs> because yeah. I had to watch. I had to watch Clark Kent or um, Christopher Reeves to cleanse my palate. Um, and so I haven't been able to watch anything under this new DC Universe thing since then. Because it ruined that so much for me. Um, my hope is that Wonder Woman changes that, and I've heard good things from that. So, 
Wonder list. Woman is the shot of really great film that mm-hmm. DC uh, Universe needs. Mm-hmm. It's, it really is. It's a good film. Um, mm-hmm. And it can stand alone. You don't need to see the previous DC movies. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Um, another tidbit. Um, so this movie is, the majority of it is set during World War World War One. Mm-hmm. Um. And um, there's a scene where a general is walking through an office and he can hear this German officer talking to a subordinate. And I swear, I'm not sure I need to either go back or just get the DVD or Blu-ray. I could have sworn that I heard somebody say Hitler as in as if somebody's talking to a <laughs> subordinate. The thing, the real life thing is. Adolf Hitler was a soldier during World War One. Yes, he was. And so I could. It's during a scene that. Um, oh, I forget the general's name, but he's he's walking through an office and he's trying to get to um, Doctor Poison. It's before he goes in, and I, I know this isn't helping. Saying, mm-hmm. "Oh, it's before." It's before he goes in, and um, this new chemical that's like an upper and it gives him super strength and it makes his face all mm. white. So, yeah. Well, yeah. cool. Uh, okay. So based on your recommendations and the conversations that you and I have had off topic and in the thread and all that sort of stuff, would you suggest that I take my 11 year old daughter to go see wonder woman? I would suggest only if, I think it would be okay, but um, just if you're comfortable taking her to see a movie where they have these kinds of conversations about mm-hmm. sexuality and see a man who is nearly <laughs> naked, then go right ahead. It's okay because it's Captain Kirk. <laughs> he, he does have a very nice form. But again, it's just I would not feel entirely comfortable about even taking a 13 year old or even a 17 year old yeah i mean there wasn't because i i'm 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 one of those people that's that believes that kids should be allowed to be kids as long as possible that's absolutely true because adult adulthood is tough and we should not have to thrust those kinds of difficult things on children and sexuality i mean i mean there are clearly fun aspects but (laughs) there's also a lot of entanglements (laughs) there's a lot of emotional entanglements that come with it and for good or bad you know just let kids be kids i mean they really did not need all that nudity was there more than just that come on it was him with his hand strategically placed okay that was it that's the one i can put my hand up if i need to (laughs) (laughs) No, no 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 all right yeah, so, yeah, and they have a, during, you, yeah, you can just, when you see him in a in a pool of glowy water, and he's saying, oh, wow, this is amazing, just go ahead and put your hands over <laughs> your eyes, it'll be go. okay. Fast forward. Yeah, and if you're like me, and you grew up in a house where you did have age-appropriate conversations where you, with your parents about where babies <laughs> came from, and, and, you know, as you grew over grew older where the bird about, about the birds and the bees um you know then that's right. okay i think it's up to okay. you really uh that's my honest answer all right i think we need to put this to bed okay peace out later bye <laughs>